It's Wednesday, July 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Motley Fool Rule Breakers and Supernova, David Kretzman and Aaron Bush. Thanks for being here, guys. Good yeah. to be here. Thank you. Holy cow. This There are so many companies reporting earnings today. This is one of those days we could do an hour-long show. And I'd just like to say to any listeners who might be worried, uh, we're not going to do that. We're not, we're, <laughs> Good news. <laughs> Good news. We're not doing an hour no show. There, there are big, widely held stocks like Coca-Cola that we're not even going to touch today. But we are going to talk about Twitter's latest quarter. We're going to talk Buffalo Wild Wings in the wake of the conversation Matt Argusinger and I had yesterday about restaurants. And uh, But we're going to start with the biggest public company of them all, just getting a little bit bigger, and that's Apple. Um, third quarter revenue. $42.4 billion, which is just a big inc- number. It's a big number. Yeah. And uh, amazing. You know, I'm sure people will see headlines like, well, their revenue fell from a year ago. Yes, it did. It was still $42.5 billion. Uh, shares up about 6 7%. This seems like a quarter that, and we can dig into some of the numbers in a minute. Dave, but this seems like a quarter that surprised people, because we're expecting the iPhone Seven sometime in the fall. Yeah, and I and maybe it was just a function of uh, not very great expectations for Apple. Yeah, I mean the the company actually met its own guidance. The company guided for revenue between forty one and forty three billion dollars. So there wasn't a whole lot of unexpected things occurring this quarter, but uh, the company sold 40.4 million iPhones in the quarter, which was a bit ahead of what analysts were expecting. A lot of that was driven by the iPhone SE, uh, which is the $400, slightly more affordable uh, 4-inch iPhone. Uh, And Management mentioned that the majority of uh, people buying the iPhone uh, this quarter were either people switching over from another platform, like Windows or Android, or first-time users, both in developed and emerging markets. And that's really a, a, a plus. And I think analysts and people on Wall Street are starting to recognize the power of Apple's installed base. So the company has more than a billion devices worldwide that people have bought. So they're buying into this Apple installed base, this Apple ecosystem. Uh, when, when you're talking about the uh, the uh, uh, iOS, the, the platform for mobile phone, uh, the car platform, smartwatch, smartwatch software platform, and the Mac platform. Apple really has an extensive ecosystem, and and you saw that this quarter, and you continue to see that being one of the uh, primary strengths with the company. Uh, Services revenue is up 19% year-over-year to $6 billion, 11% of total revenue, and that's high-margin revenue. Uh, So, you you probably services probably make up 20 or 30% of the company's net income right, right now. So, as Apple becomes more of a software and services-driven company, getting people into that ecosystem through the more affordable iPhone SE, that's a really positive sign. Do you think this is the next thing that investors start to focus on? Because for a while, there was all this buzz about the watch, and then, you know, depending on who you listen to, the watch is either um, uh, a mild disappointment, uh, uh, just a first iteration that will get better in time, or an outright flop. So you could, you know, there's no shortage of opinions on the watch, but I mm-hmm. think a lot of people looked at it as, well, this could be the next device for them, and it seems like 
particularly Aaron, after everything David just said about the services, it looks like maybe services are the next thing for investors to key in on. Yeah, I would say services is probably the biggest thing to keep an eye out on. I mean, they still are, without a doubt, an iPhone business. Oh yeah. So you can't take your eye off of the the iPhone count, but but really, I mean, the services is becoming the kind of a game changer here. Eleven percent of sales, a bigger chunk of earnings, um, in and of itself. The services business, and that includes the App Store, Apple Music, Apple Pay, iCloud, uh, mainly those. But that's a Fortune 100 business in and of itself. If it were broken out on its own, so it's it's just massive, and that is the glue that that keeps the ecosystem together. And so, I, I don't know if Apple is perfectly structured in such a way to continue wowing users. Um, with software services in the same way it has with devices over the past. I just don't know if they're structured for that. Um, but I think that definitely is something that they need to figure out. It ties into artificial intelligence with Siri. Um, and I think um, more than ever, that's going to become incredibly important. Similar to, to Amazon, where Jeff Bezos mentioned, he his goal is for, for it to be irresponsible for people to not be a member of, of Amazon or a prime member. Uh, I think you you could make a similar argument for Apple, where they want it to be such a compelling value proposition for you to have one of these devices, one or more of these devices, and use their software on a daily basis. So that that really is the goal of the company. And when when you see that services revenue tick up, you know, nineteen percent, you see really strong adoption uh, with, with Apple Pay and some of these other uh, programs are going into making a one billion dollar investment into Didi, kind of the Uber of China. You can really tell that Apple is. Transitioning toward that that services uh, component of the company, or at least focusing on it more and more, and it's having a bigger impact on the company each quarter. We've talked before about how much cash this company has on hand. That is a, a pile of money that just gets bigger. I, I saw one report yesterday that I think had it north of two hundred billion dollars. Is that possible? Around that like two hundred thirty-three billion? Yeah, in terms of cash and and short-term assets and 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 all that sort of thing. Um, any talk about what they're going to do with that. I know so much of it is overseas that, from for tax purposes, it's uh, a little bit of a challenge for Apple to figure out how to deploy that. I'm just wondering if there was any talk out of the company on a special one-time dividend, increasing the dividend, more buybacks, that sort of thing. Uh, kind of all, all of the above. Uh, the company has a $250 billion um, uh, capital return plan to shareholders. They've so far they've done about 177 billion dollars. So there's more than 70 billion dollars uh, of cash to be returned to shareholders through dividends and uh, repurchases in, in the quarters ahead. And this is actually there, there were some of the the news after this uh, report was focusing on the fact that the cash and long term investments for the first time in, in recent memory actually decreased. It was only by about a billion dollars, which was is you know a fraction of a percent. But some people are taking that as a sign, like, oh, Apple's not afraid to actually invest that. And like I said, they made a $1 billion investment into Didi this quarter. Um, they spent more on uh, a few other acquisitions. So Apple is geared toward in house development, making acquisitions where it makes sense, and returning a boatload of cash to, to shareholders. Yeah, I would just say a lot of that shareholder return is actually fueled by debt. Mm -hmm. um, they've taken on, I don't even know off the top of my head, probably like $80 billion, $90 billion in debt. Um, just because they, Tim Cook has said it is completely irresponsible for them to pull cash from overseas. Because, I mean that I don't I don't even know how many billions of dollars that would be as well. Um, so so I think something big would have to change, or there has to be some massive opportunity 
for Tim Cook to bring that cash over. But for now, cheap debt seems to be helping investors out too. And in the meantime, they free cash flow was down like revenue and earnings this quarter, but they still produced almost eight billion dollars in free cash flow. So the company is churning out a lot of cash on a regular basis. And whenever you know the iPhone Seven is launched and these new hardware products, and as services revenue continues to tick up, free cash flow is should be in a solid position. Last question, then we'll move on to Twitter. Where is this stock right now? It's up about six percent today. When you look at it, do you think, oh, this is about where it should be, or does it look cheap? I think it still looks compelling. I haven't looked at what the PE ratio is lately, but it's still at a pretty hefty discount to the S&P 500. I think it's still less than half the PE ratio of the S&P 500. So it's trading at a discount to the market. When you look at the earnings and cash power of the company, and just the optionality they have with um, you know such an extensive install base, uh, a growing services platform, um, and making these acquisitions and investments, I I think. Yeah, I would expect the stock to be a market beater. It's not going to light it, light it up, but I, I think it's a solid market beater from here. Twitter's second quarter. Uh, holy cow, where do we start? I guess we start with the revenue, which came in lower than expected. And the company said, and I'm quoting here, there was less overall advertiser demand than we expected. Ouch. That's. Look, there's a bunch of things. Disappointing. There are a bunch of things to get to here with Twitter, but I think if you are a shareholder or a potential shareholder, that is probably the most terrifying thing about this business right now. Because we've talked in the past about how 2016 was setting up, just in terms of the calendar, as a good year for Twitter's business in terms of activity and engagement. We saw this with the Men's Soccer World Cup two years ago. So, this year we've got the Summer Olympics, we've got a presidential mm-hmm. election in the United States. Just in terms of big events outside the company's control, the calendar was setting up pretty nicely for them. So, the fact that advertisers made the, made the active choice to take their business elsewhere has really got to scare yeah. people, Aaron. Yeah. and so. I kind of look at this in two different ways. You have to kind of look at it from the user perspective and then the the financial perspective a little bit. So from the user side, I mean 3% growth year over year. Um, that's pretty horrible. It's a total of 313 million. Um, granted there are probably more people that go on the site that aren't logged in. You kind of got to give them credit for that. But there would almost definitely be more engagement today. There'd be more people today if management weren't so stuck in their ways years ago. So it's just as much mistakes that they made a long time ago as it is um, mistakes being made um, today. I actually don't think um, the team is doing that poorly right now. The team is talented, but um, it's really not easy right now. It's like turning around an ocean freighter. Um, And one thing. That no one ever talks about because Twitter never breaks out their churn is that um, the problem here is just as much retaining old users as it is bringing on new ones because um, you know they are acquiring new users and the fact that it's flat um, points to points to other problems and so yes they are taking steps to boost engagement um, improving tweets timeline they got moments Periscope Vine creating partnerships and all that stuff. It's just frustrating to me, and I think a lot of other people, because Twitter does not have a content problem. It has great content for literally anyone who's interested in anything. Sports, politics, comedy, finance, whatever. It's just a packaging problem that's compounded over time. And here we are today on Facebook Live, 
as, as a testament <laughs> yeah. to that, you know, like, <laughs> like <laughs> it's not like Facebook needs any more help, but here we are. Um, and I, I would just say the, the other, the other perspective here is the financial one, right? So user growth has been unsatisfying, but at least the company has done a good job um, generating um, solid revenue growth from here, from just the past few quarters. Um, uh, profitability, uh, horrific shareholder dilution, that's just another sad story. But generally, revenue has been something that we could count on. So the fact that they missed revenue expectations this quarter, and the fact that forward-looking guidance revenue is um, is pretty pretty bad. It just it shows that you're saying the advertisers are allocating their budgets elsewhere. Um, yeah, their guidance for the third yeah. quarter, I, I think, is what is as much as anything that is what is pushing down the stock 10, 12 percent today. Yeah, and so there's literally nothing good that could happen for Twitter <laughs> <laughs> when when that happens. It's, it's it's just horrible. So all in all, like Twitter has something that's very special. It's very unique, and this is all. Um, it, I would just say kind of like an analogy. It's like they've mounted on their new bike and mounted it straight into a wall. All, <laughs> all while Jack Dorsey is spending half of his time on another bike. So, so it's just they have so much, but there's just been so many mistakes that have compounded to where they are today that it just makes it such a difficult situation to overcome. I want to come back to Jack Dorsey in a minute. In terms of their guidance for the current quarter, and you think about how much of the the business news around Twitter lately has been their push into live streaming, their partnerships with the NFL, etc. When you think about the third quarter, which will include not just the Summer Olympics, but the start of the NFL season, do you think they made the strategic decision to cut guidance to a level where they thought, we know we can beat this, so that they wouldn't have this kind of surprise? Do you think they just cut guidance so much so that three months from now they are supremely confident they're going to beat that number. My guess is that they've been sandbagging for a while and just keep on failing at their own sandbagging. Yikes. So <laughs> that, that's my guess. I could be wrong with that, but there are so many catalysts that you would think they would just be trying to set up an easy win for themselves. But I think they would be already doing that. And. It, if if you look at some of the the news outlets and how they've reported on this quarter, they say, "Oh, Twitter's earnings almost doubled." And when I first read that, I was like, "That, that can't that can't be right." So I, in this case, I would totally ignore non-GAAP earnings. They're useless. Uh, they're, 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 when you look at GAAP numbers, they had a loss of 107.2 million dollars. But then they magically say, "Hey, our non-GAAP income." This is what a lot of the financial media is reporting was positive 92.9 million dollars. And they really get there adjusting a few things, but mainly stock-based compensation, uh, which totaled 106 point, uh, 167.7 million dollars. Uh, Twitter's just pumping out uh, stock-based comp, and if you just look at the comparison between Alphabet, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, stock-based compensation as a percentage of sales. First, you have Alphabet or Google, seven percent. Facebook, 15.2 percent. LinkedIn, getting a little higher up there, 17.2 percent. Twitter, 25.8%. So even at this point, if Twitter does somehow get profitable, shareholders are going to see such a small cut of that. And when you see revenue decelerating at the pace it is, I really have doubts 
uh, that the company is going to make any money that will, will give shareholders a satisfying return from here. Because if you're paying out that level of stock-based comp, you need accelerating revenue growth, or at least consistent, strong revenue growth. And Twitter does not have that. Yeah, I think it's about 2% dilution quarterly, I think, has been the trend, which is pretty, yeah. pretty horrible. And Twitter is also one of the few companies that has adjusted cash flow numbers. And that, that always raises red flags to me. Yeah. Never a good sign. No, no. <laughs> it's it's you never. You can't adjust cash flow. It just doesn't make sense. It's, it's, it's not a positive. It doesn't go in the plus column. And no. I think Aaron and I, we, we both own shares of Twitter. Like I started a position in the company a couple years ago. Like I think we both saw promise with with the yeah. company. But at this point, the company is on such a short lease. So when when their revenue growth is decelerating, stock stock based comp remains at such a high level. Nothing is sticking with the company at this point. So let's wrap up with Jack Dorsey, the CEO, who, as you indicated, Aaron, is the CEO of Twitter. He is also the CEO of Square, the mobile payment company, which is also publicly traded. And, you know, there's the old saying you can't ride two horses with one behind. <laughs> and I think Jack Dorsey's at the point now where he's got to pick a horse. Because yeah. if, if both these companies were doing well and both of their stocks, were headed north, then no one would care that he's the CEO of two different companies. And even taking into account what you said about, and it's it's true, there previous management, a lot of what he, Jack Dorsey and Adam Bain and and the the management team have been dealing with are sort of sort of riding the ship of uh, that was you know steered towards the cliffs by previous captains. Wow, I made it all the way through that yeah. analogy. <laughs> nice. um, but. <laughs> You know, this is a year now that he's been CEO of these two companies. It's like he's not much to show for it. He's got to pick. I mean, do you, what are the odds that by the end of this calendar year, he's still CEO of both these companies? I would say probably better than not, just because they've already cycled through CEOs before. But I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. Do you think the 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 warning flag that we would see before? That happens before him leaving one of them is, you know, some investor group comes in and announces, oh, we've taken a 9% stake in either Twitter or Square or something like that. And then it's, yeah. oh, okay, they're, 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 my, they're, they're not just doing it because they like the stock, they're doing it because they want to make some changes. Yeah, my guess is the catalyst would probably be an acquisition or something like that being taken private by some larger tech company, a private equity company, something. I, I it's all kind of a guessing game until it happens, but that, that would be what I would think. All right, let's get to Buffalo Wild Wings. Stock up more than twelve percent this morning after a solid quarter, and that's not my description. That's Sally Smith, the longtime <laughs> CEO. That's her description of this quarter. It was a right. solid, and it was. It was, you know, it was okay. re- yeah. revenue up fifteen percent. Uh, same store sales uh, took a hit. I mean, this this is a fine quarter. Why? Is this just a case where the stock had been beaten down that any sign of, well, good news or just a flat out solid quarter gets investors excited? I guess. Uh, I mean, I, I'm still a little baffled at the reaction we're having. Last I checked, the stock was up over 12%, I think. So really up, up a good amount. But in a way, the company actually missed its own guidance for the quarter. So to back up a little bit, in the first quarter of this year, like a lot of restaurants and especially casual diners, Buffalo Wild Wings uh, reported kind of an unexpected drop in same store sales. Uh, and Buffalo Wild Wings, this is one of the stronger operators in the restaurant space. It's a company we've admired and followed for many years at the full, and it's been a phenomenal long term investment. So that drop in comps really came out of nowhere, uh, and management 
pretty much admitted that, that hey, we, we didn't really see this coming. Now they're trying to write the ship. They were they were expecting uh, comps to be flat in the second quarter and third quarter, but <laughs> comps actually dropped more this quarter than they did in the first quarter. Uh, so I see that as a bit of a red flag because the the initiatives that management is trying to do to turn the ship around, so to speak, haven't really um, they they haven't sticked. Um, uh, Sticked, stuck. stuck. They haven't stuck. stuck. Yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I see that as a red flag, but you know, sales and earnings are still up. Uh, they maintain their guidance for for the rest of the year. Um, as as far as earnings growth, they're expecting earnings per share to increase between 13 18 percent. So Wall Street might be looking at this and saying, "Hey, th- this wasn't the greatest quarter, but you know, they're, at least they didn't cut guidance for the rest of the year. Whether or not they meet guidance, and I sort of have my doubts that they will, just because now they have to turn around even more." Um, after this quarter, but you know, at, at this point, it, it comes down to confidence in management. And I think when you have a CEO like Sally Smith, who has been a proven operator, um, you know, they have a longer leash. You know, uh, Wall Street and others will give them th- uh, the benefit of the doubt. So, so we'll see. But I, looking at this quarter, I don't see a reason to be really excited. I think I think part of it is just the the, the stock had been beaten down. This is a stock that. Traditionally, when it's gotten down to a PE multiple of 25 or so, has been a good opportunity, and that's that's where it was after uh, the most recent quarter. Now it's uh, ticked back up closer to PE of 30. Yeah, I would say one thing that I also noticed was that an activist investor, Mercado Capital, um, just reported buying a five percent stake in the business, and so I think that might be some of the the positivity that we're seeing. Just seeing like, oh, good. Now management's going to get some some harder pressure to make um, bigger changes that affect it. But I don't I don't really know. It's either that or our taco. Our taco. I mean, yeah, yeah you got twelve our taco locations. <laughs> that that might start moving the needle pretty soon. You never know. But it's interesting, actually. The activist investor, um, from what I this, this is from secondhand reporting, so uh, I might be a little off on this. But what I've heard is that um, they wanted Buffalo Wild Wings to actually go more. Toward franchising, which is really the opposite of what the company's been right. doing, acquiring franchisees. Hmm. Typically, the company had uh, well less um, company-owned stores compared to franchise locations, and that's become about 50-50. And the company's expanding company-owned restaurants faster than franchise locations. So I question the logic there. Like, if you have a sound operating concept, like a, a good restaurant-level economics, it doesn't make sense to me to go. The, the the franchise route like we've seen with Chipotle you know up until recently but over the long term Chipotle, the reason Chipotle generates so much cash is because all of their locations are company owned and they have phenomenal unit economics Buffalo Wild Wings was close to that level so to me I I don't know if if that's the right way to to write the ship if that is indeed what is kind of the the focus of that investor yeah I'm uh... This is not a situation like we just talked about with Twitter or Square, where an activist comes in and says, "I think I can affect positive change." As you said, David, I mean, Sally Smith has been running that company so well for so long. I would be pretty surprised if someone said, "You know, I feel like I can I can help this team out because they they've really they've really done a great job." I'm wondering if a little bit of what we're seeing with the stock today is also sort of a little bit of what we saw with Apple where a lot of people are looking ahead to the fall with Apple and maybe expectations as a result were lower for this quarter in the same way the NFL season definitely helps Buffalo Wild Wings, and so I wonder if people were sort of thinking, "Gosh, if they can just if they if they can just put up a solid quarter, 
and get us to football season, then we're going to be okay. So yeah, and you have the Olympics, which could uh, provide a lift. But although you know, lo- looking at the second quarter, there wasn't really a shortage of uh, good sporting events going on. You had soccer, you had the NBA Finals going to a Game Seven. <laughs> Management actually blamed. Um, the Chicago Blackhawks and the Chicago Bulls, who had 28 fewer playoff games this year compared to, to last year. And apparently, <laughs> Buffalo Wild Wings has enough locations in you know that Chicago yeah. area that fans weren't showing up at the restaurants. So it's on the Blackhawks and Bulls. They better have a good season. Uh, so you mentioned that uh, a year ago. So I, I'm pretty sure Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, is uh, is missing the first four games of the season uh, due to suspension. Last year. Uh, the suspension was. I think it was a year ago that that the suspension was uh, g- going to be taking effect, and similar to what you just said about Chicago, uh, some analyst on the conference call a year ago had run the numbers on Buffalo Wild Wings locations in New England, and basically said, you know, do, do you ask, do you have lower expectations for you know these pretty decent, you know, pretty large number of locations? Because the star player of the you know the football team in New England is not going to be playing, and um, you know they just sort of they basically said no, no, we're, <laughs> we're good, we're, we're we're pretty confident people are going to show up no matter what. I think part of this too is the fact that this isn't an issue uh, centric to to Buffalo Wild Wings. Like a lot of restaurants and especially casual diners are struggling. The first quarter was not a good one for restaurants compared to the same quarter last year. Uh, so Buffalo Wild Wings is, is certainly not the only restaurant struggling. It is it is still surprising to me to see a company that is traditionally such a strong operator struggling this much, really just out, out of the blue. So it, it will be something to watch, but I think that's another reason why Wall Street seems to be giving uh, management and the company benefit of the doubt for now. Last question, and then we'll we'll get out of here. Uh, I believe at Buffalo Wild Wings they have twenty one different sauces that you can get on your wings, all different flavors and styles and levels of heat. Mm-hmm. So, uh, on a scale of one to twenty one, what's what's your preference? It doesn't have to be for wings because I know I know you're not a, a wings person, but yeah. just one to twenty one. Where where do you where do you like your spice? Uh, I, I tend to go in the middle somewhere, so I'll go with eleven. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I'd go probably like nine or ten, but I have done their blazing challenge. Have you? And it is terrifying. So what is, remind me of the blazing challenge? Is it just? Oh is, yeah. So they you can order a their blazing is their their hottest sauce, and you if you order it and eat it all, they give it to you for free and a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't Tom Garner challenge Bill Mann to do that ten years yes, ago or something? Some, we have I, video of that. I think I think <laughs> somewhere on Fool.com we may have video. Of of Motley Fool Fund's portfolio manager Bill Mann. I think there was some, some the, cursing in there. Taking the blazing shot. Yeah, <laughs> your face were, just burns. Yeah, it's not and, pleasant. And Bill likes the spicy. You know, he he he. he you know, like George Costanza, he likes his chicken spicy. Right. And but he was, he was he, feeling it. He was feeling it by the end there. And yeah, I think there I think there were some bleeps in that video towards the end. <laughs> you know, just to, just to clean it up. Yeah. So to make the video. So, so we highly encourage it. Yeah, no, exactly. Check it out. All right, Aaron Bush, David Kretzman, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you tomorrow.